All right, everybody. Hello. Welcome in Facebook watchers, SoundCloud listeners, podcast hearers. We're so glad to have you. My name is Tim, and uh, I want to ask you a question. All the Christians out there, what do you do when you and another Christian see an issue completely differently? You think it's okay, they think it's wrong and sinful, and they kind of shame you for thinking it's okay and doing it. Or to put it another way, you say tomato, I say tomato. Let's not call the whole thing off. This is The Deep End. The Deep End Podcast. Welcome to The Deep End Podcast, brought to you by Waters Church in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. The Deep End is where we go deeper in the scriptures to empower our walk with God. If you're watching on Facebook Live, we're glad you joined us, and we encourage you to be a part of the conversation in the comments below. If you're listening in on SoundCloud or your podcast app, be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let's go live to Pastor Tim Hatch as we get started with today's podcast. This is The Deep End. The Deep End begins. I'm back, everybody, from Israel. I had an amazing time, and I got to tell you, as awesome as the Holy Land is, the great old USA, there's no country on earth like this land. This land is my land. This land is your land, hopefully. And if it's not your land, it should be your land. I think so. Anyway, but it is good to be back with you in the studio here at Waters Church offices in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. And no matter where you're watching from, we welcome you in on Facebook. And if you are on Facebook, in the comments, let us know where you're watching from. We'd love to know that. I also want to have comments in the comments section, question in the comments section, questions in the comments section. This is a, an opportunity for us to talk and dialogue, you and me, and uh, also my two guests. And I'm so glad to have them. Would you welcome into the studio my replacement two weeks ago, Josh Pereira, who did a fantastic job. Thank you very much. What's going on, everybody? And spinning it fresh over there is DJ <laughs> Shane Parsons. Yo, <laughs> what's going on? Welcome oh, back. We uh, missed you around here. Yeah, we did. Uh, I'm, I'm very, uh, yes, Herschel. And there's a story behind that nickname. I have a new nickname, Herschel. Uh, back in the early 1900s, there was a, a guy who, uh, a Jewish man who encouraged the Jews to move back toward Palestine, back to the homeland. And uh, there was a picture of him on the uh, Independence Hall where they announced that uh, Israel would be a nation once again back in 1948. And everybody in the group, the 120 pastors that I was with, uh, couldn't get over the similarities in appearance between me and Herschel. Of course, it was the beard. The beard, of mm. course, had a lot to do with that. Uh, the, the, the formula is great, great beard, great man of God. That's how it goes. I don't make the rules. I just follow them. Four minutes in. <laughs> Four, Four minutes. minutes. Two go. minutes and 55 <laughs> seconds. Okay, let's see how long it takes to talk about <laughs> All right, about the you beard. owe me lunch. I win. I win. <laughs> So hello again, everybody, and I'm so glad that you have joined us. Um, we have got a couple of announcements that we want to talk about, so news and updates. Uh, Shane, why don't you get us started? Uh, well, uh, this weekend, the baptism class is in our North Attleboro campus at 11 a.m. up in the office area. 11 a.m., not 11.30. So just to make sure. Baptism class. Yeah. 11 a.m. Yes. This? Thursday, uh, Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> and Josh Pereira, what have you got? We are uh, going with Fostering Hope. And that is the uh, the partnership that we're bridging the gap between uh, the state and the church for foster care in terms yeah. of uh, repping in the, <clears throat> we're going to have some representatives in the lobby again this weekend. And the informational class is going to be on March 4th at 1.30. Lunch and child care will be provided. And that's Fostering Hope. Fostering Hope. Yep. So glad that we're doing that. And we had a number of signups already for foster care here at Waters Church. So excited about that. Over I'm 30. Over 30 signups. Yeah, Somebody told me. What did you got? What did you tell me, Shane, about how the the um, the office, the district office, responded to that? Yeah, they couldn't believe. Uh, Holly was telling me uh, that it was only like what we do it for like forty five minutes. We had fifteen <laughs> people yeah. after first service, and we yeah. had like another twenty something. Usually, it takes weeks for them to get thirty something. Yeah, we got more. We got more in in a weekend than they've gotten in weeks and weeks and weeks. Fantastic, unbelievable. You know what that's called? That's called the church being the church. That's right. Amen. Amen. And that's what we're here for. Salt and light, people. We're salt and light. Thank you for everybody who signed up, and uh, those of you who are going to come again. What date? March fourth. March fourth. March one thirty. Where? Uh, right in the classroom area upstairs. Classroom area. Next, next we call next it our next center. step center. Yes. Yep. So uh, also today, I want to make one more announcement, which is Milford Baptism 
Exciting news about them. They're having baptisms this weekend, Saturday at 11 a.m. at the Shadowbrook Condominiums. So if you're at our Milford campus, uh, show up this Saturday. They are going to have service as well on Sunday at their regular time at 1030. But Saturday at 11 a.m., they're going to be baptizing some people. Music, they told me to tell you, music, baptism, and food. So food. If the baptisms don't get you, the food will. <laughs> yeah. Child and care provided. Child care provided. Good. Uh, that's, again, Shadowbrook Condominiums, Milford, Massachusetts. So exciting things to see happen up there in Milford and in Woonsocket and also in North Attleboro. Oh, one last piece of news. This is brand new news, breaking news, you could say. That is that we have lost a champion of the faith from this realm into the next. Mm. The great, the inspiring, the amazing Billy Graham has passed on to heaven today. And I want to say thank you, Billy Graham, as a pastor, as a preacher of the gospel. Uh, your influence on my life was astounding. Um, I never met you. I wish I did. I'll meet you in heaven. Um, your crown in heaven is going to be so heavy uh, because of all the jewels that are in it, the millions that you reached for the gospel. Uh, Billy Graham, we thank you for what you did, and we are just inspired by your life and we know that today, uh, we know that yesterday you were struggling with Parkinson's and other ailments, but today he is dancing up and down the streets of heaven. Amen. New body. Amen. In a yep. brand new body. Yep. And uh, I'm so excited about that. You guys have anything you want to say about that? I mean, pretty much covered it, man. What a legacy he's left. You know? I know you. I, when I was a kid, I remember um, it was before I was saved, uh, it was before uh, cable TV. It was three stations. And I remember on Saturday nights, uh, there was a Billy Graham Crusades, and mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't understand it, uh, but uh, I listened all the time. I think it was just playing a CD. Yeah. I, yeah. I can remember that when <clears throat> I first, when we started this church, and this church was very small, maybe 30, 40 people would show up on Sunday, and sometimes it's hard to get amped up for 30 or 40 people to preach, but I would turn on uh, TBN or, or one of these Christian network stations, and they would play Billy Graham classics. This is like in 2005, 2006, and they would play, at, I remember this clearly, at 11 p.m. at night on Saturday nights, they would play Billy Graham classics, and I would watch yeah. you know, Billy Graham preaching, and it would amp me up to come in on Sunday and preach my heart out to 35 people, you That's know? Awesome. Um, just he... I think that you have to look at his life and you have to say, this guy inspired people, pastors across this country to reach people with the gospel yeah. and not just preach the Bible. It, there's a difference between preaching the Bible, and I am all for preaching the text of the Bible and teaching people what the Bible says, but then there's another thing called preaching the gospel. The Bible has the gospel, of course. Yeah. But he just inspired a whole generation of us. We all wanted to be the next Billy Graham. <laughs> yeah. You know, we all thought, oh, I'm the next one. We, we all, I still think that, you know. So, but it's just a, it's the importance, I think, of just a, a life well lived from beginning to end. No scandals, no I know it. adultery, yeah. you know, no thing where he had um, money laundering. Um, just to be able to do that in this day and age is almost a miracle. When you see what happens with these men, how about how about this? No, um, no point at which he got too big for his own uh, ministry. His, humble, yeah, yeah, he, humble. humble. Uh, never made a ton of money by choice. He could have made millions, and never did. Never took a salary above, I think, eighty thousand dollars up until towards the end. There, I mean, that is just an unbelievable thing. 60 years, I just want to run down some highlights. 60 years of ministry, um, Presidential Medal of Freedom, ministered to 12 different presidents, yeah. advised wow. them spiritually. Unbelievable. Uh, 60 times, over 60 times, Billy Graham made the list of most admired Americans. Wow. 60 times. Uh, again, no serious scandals. 215 million people reached with the gospel in 185 different countries. Uh, he always had a principle. Our vice president has this principle as well and gets some flack for it. But he had a principle, a principle saying that he would never be alone with a woman who was not his wife. And I think there is something to be said for that. Absolutely. I had heard that he actually, because of fear that somebody might try to surprise him and take a picture with like a, a woman scantily <clears throat> dressed, he, he would have places checked out by his 
some of his handlers before he would walk into a hotel room or into an elevator. I mean, this guy took serious precautions to guard the integrity of his ministry. Uh, He preached to Queen Elizabeth privately, which I think, wow, I would have loved to have been there. (laughs) Um, And uh, George W. Bush actually said that after a walk with Billy Graham at the Kenny Bunkport compound up in Maine when he was a younger man, it was that conversation with Billy Graham that that made him stop drinking. Yeah, I read that today. Yeah, and so you think about that. We, he became president and uh, got over that that terrible uh, issue in his life because of a conversation with Billy Graham. And so I just think so much. I just say thank you, thank you, uh, Billy Graham. I have this quote up here on the slide. If we can put that back up, it says, "My home is in heaven. I'm just traveling through this world." And today he he made it home. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Billy. Let's get into our topic, shall we? This is going to be a tough transition to get into the topic now. Because uh, can we uh, get into 1 Corinthians chapter 8? Because I've got the title of the topic. It's kind of a funny top title. But uh, the title of the topic is 50 Shades of Christian Grey. Now, for all of you uh, lukewarm Christian ladies out there that are reading... <laughs> That are reading Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, we spell it with an A, G R A Y, not G R E Y. That was so, just a bait and hook to get him into the podcast. That was a, yeah, bait and hook. So Fifty <laughs> Shades of Christian Grey, and I, what I mean by Christian Grey is the gray areas of the Christian faith. What do we do with the gray areas of the Christian faith? Some things, friends, are black and white, like adultery is black and white, and stealing is black and white, and lying is black and white. But some things are not black and white. And we're going to talk about that today. And I hope that you um, really, and I mean this, get into the comments on Facebook and ask questions because I know there are gray areas out there. We want to talk about them and we want to help you deal with how to talk about these very difficult issues. Uh, There is no doubt that in your life and in a church's community, there's always going to be one or two issues where some of the congregation says this is wrong and sinful, and then some of the congregation says, no, that's fine. There's no biblical precedent against it, so we can do it. But there's questions about it and all around that uh, around that um, activity or that issue. Mm-hmm. What do you do in those situations? Well, good news, friends. That's not a new problem for the church. The church has faced this problem before. The church has always faced this problem. It faces this problem in our generation. It faced this problem when I was in my teen years as a Christian with different issues, and today there's different issues that we all wrestle with. So when the Bible does not clearly say this is sin, like it's not in the Big Ten Commandments, or it's not written clearly in Paul's writings, or or clearly in the words of Jesus in the Gospels, what do we do? And what's the decision we must make? So that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is all about. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I'll read the whole passage, and then we'll talk about it, because this is what Paul's going to tackle here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, a gray area for the Corinthians in the first century, and how should we respond as Christians in our communities regarding this, this, these issues. So here we go. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 8. He says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge, quote-unquote, puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there are many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, and as indeed there are many gods and many lords, both of those words are in quotes, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, Paul says, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to Uh, eat food offered to idols. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. That's the passage. So let's talk about that. 
Okay, so Paul's going to bring up a, an issue, and it's right there in verse 1. He's going to bring up this issue about food offered to idols. This is what the passage is about. He says, now concerning food offered to idols. Okay, two things I can guarantee you about this passage. Number one, none of you struggle with eating meat sacrificed to idols. <laughs> like this, is, this is not something you've been praying about. Lord, should I eat meat sacrificed to idols or not? Because there is no meat in, the, in today's culture, in American culture, sacrificed to idols. If you, could go, if, if you go to a third world country somewhere where they practice some weird crazy religion there still might be meat like this yeah but in america i mean you're not going to shaw's and seeing the meat sacrifice to idols section in the delhi area okay <laughs> uh so this is not an area that you struggle with and i get that but however just because it's not an area that we struggle with today the second thing i can guarantee you about this passage is this that the principles of this passage are universal in application as a christian we can take from this passage the, th- the way that Paul handles this very dis- difficult and tenuous and tense uh, issue in the Corinthian context, and we can apply it to our lives today. Because, let's face it, there is no shortage of controversial topics in the Christian church even to this day. And by that, I mean areas of life where we could say, well, there's no definite passage that says it shouldn't be done and at the same time doing it may make you look i don't know maybe a little questionable Mm. may seem wrong to some people and so we've got to take from this passage those principles that paul uses regarding these gray areas um so i imagine that the meat sacrificed to idols in corinth in corinth in the first century i imagine that it was probably cheaper meat be- oh, yeah. Because the Jews wouldn't buy it. You know, I'm sorry, the Jews would buy it, actually, because we're going to talk about who would buy it, who wouldn't. But, you know, the former pagans wouldn't buy it. And so when you have a group of people that wouldn't buy, wouldn't buy it, it becomes cheaper, right. probably, you know, supply and demand principle there. I'm guessing it was probably tasty meat. Yeah. yeah. Because it's never an issue if you don't want to do it. <laughs> like, True. You know, come on. This meat probably was really well seasoned or, you know, the prime cuts of beef. And so there was Christians saying, I know it's wrong, but I want it. Um, and so you have this this tension now because Christians going to the same church in Corinth, some would invite their friends over for lunch, maybe, or go out to eat. And they say, hey, let's go over to this this market, and, and some people say, no, that's the market where they have the, the meat offered to the pagan gods of Corinth. I can't possibly go there. Why not? It's just, it's just meat. No, no, it was offered. Who cares who it was offered to? We know it was just meat. So I could just see these kind of conversations going on. And so I want to ask this simple question. What are, the, what are those areas for us today? There are dozens of them. I came up with a few. I want to ask you guys a couple of what you came up with, but I came up with a few. Uh, I'll name them for you. Um, today, gray areas of the Christian faith. Drinking alcohol. It's mm, a big one. Big one. I think some Christians genuinely just <clears throat> cannot drink alcohol at all. Other Christians have no problem having alcohol so long as it doesn't lead to drunkenness. Drunkenness is clearly prohibited in the scriptures. Right. Correct. You know, drinking alcohol, Jesus turned water into wine. Um, even people who say, no, he turned it into grape juice have not really done their <laughs> research because in the ancient world, you couldn't drink water. You couldn't. You had to have fermented water. Ferment- fermentation took a lot of the bacteria and diseases out of the water, and so it made water safe to drink. I mean, Jesus wouldn't have made unharm- unsafe wa- uh, water, so it was wine. And even the master of the ceremonies comes up to him after the wedding and says, hey, this is the best wine I've ever tasted, basically. Right. So it was wine, friends. I hate to disappoint all my Southern Baptist friends out there and <laughs> Assemblies of God <laughs> friends out there, but it was wine that Jesus made. Smoking. Yeah, smoking's a big one. Yeah. Sm- uh, this is a huge one. That's a real touchy one. Smoking. To, to smoke or not to smoke, vaping, to vape or not to vape, um, seeing R-rated movies, uh, dating or allowing your children to date, uh, schooling your children, should you homeschool? Some people are diehard homeschoolers. Some people are diehard Christian schoolers. And some people are diehard public school uh, parents. And so we can get on these areas of gray where there's no scripture that clearly says thou shalt not smoke. There's no scripture that clearly says thou shalt not date. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and as for schooling, uh, there's scriptures that you can use and uh, support for homeschooling and scriptures that you can use to support not homeschooling. So we've got gray areas. Did you guys come up with some? Yeah. Um, yeah. I came up with uh, playing the lottery, you know, gambling, uh, trick or treat. Should you take your kids out, trick or treat or not? 
Um, just two. Trick or treating. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Pereira? Oh, you took all the good ones, man. I did. He does <laughs> it all the time. I know. He does it all the time. I do that all the time. <laughs> all the good ones. I mean, I think uh, in terms of uh, like really far, far uh, conservative people versus far liberal people, I mean, you could equate it like going to McDonald's. I mean, even gluttony in our country, that's, that's yeah. a good thing, too. Yeah. How about voting? There's some Christians that think I voting. Heard that one. Yeah, I've heard yeah. it. Some Christians think you should be <clears throat> completely disconnected from any part of the political process. Really? Yeah. Wow. There's Christians out there. I mean, I'll tell you, you could find a you could find a Christian that'll name anything a sin if you look hard <laughs> enough. But there are some, and then there are some even like entire denominations that believe no, you should vote one way. Mm. Like there's entire denominations that believe you should vote Democrat. There's entire denominations that believe you should vote um Republican really? and oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, if you think about this, every four years when the presidential cycle comes up, you will see the Democratic uh, um, candidate in certain churches, and then you'll see the Republican candidate in certain <laughs> churches, and it's like never the twain shall meet. And it's just like, even, yeah. even along the Christian church, there's a divide for Democrat Republican, and it's kind of crazy that we do this, but it's just like name your gray area. I mean, on Facebook now in the comments section, if I have missed a gray area, I'm Some, sure I have. Somebody said going to the club. Going to a club. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there. I can't give you a verse that says you shouldn't go. Thou shalt not club. Thou shalt not club. I mean, I, yeah. Is there one out there? I don't, I don't think know. so. Rock and roll music's another one too. Yeah, Christian music. That's a huge one. I still see, today yeah. though. What's that? Still, it's today an issue. Rock and roll music. I mean, I'm sure there's some Looney Tunes out there that Maybe. probably wouldn't want you to listen to it. But. <laughs> Dirty dancing. Dirty dancing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, puts baby in the corner. Nobody puts baby in the corner. But you know, when I was in youth group i was um and i say this all the time it seems like but my my youth pastor was a jesus people convert you know the jesus people were the hippies who were saved in the 1970s in california they they scattered across the united states and and won fellow hippies throughout the united states to jesus it was an amazing movement but they didn't they didn't give up their hippie ways except for drugs and rock and roll Mm. and so he was serious about those things drugs and alcohol drugs and rock and roll no no's no no's at uh, completely. So I remember my mother giving my uh, youth pastor a tour of our house and he went into my room and I had just gotten into rock and roll. I think I was like 12 years old and I just got into um, Poison. Remember the band Poison? Oh, yeah. Every every rose has its thorn. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, the song Talk Dirty to Me. That was like my favorite <laughs> song growing up. Talk Dirty to Me. Oh, I'm sorry to confess that, but I'm a human. Um, and he, they saw the Poison album on my on my dresser drawer or whatever, I, my dresser in my bedroom, and I got a lecture, man. I got a lecture from them that day. <laughs> I see that you listen to rock and roll. Don't you know that, that that's satanic? And then they used to bring us into these these meetings where they would play records backwards. It's called backmasking, and then they would they oh, yeah. would reveal the secret satanic messages through the music backwards. You guys ever experienced Led Zeppelin? This? Yeah, we used to do that. Oh, Queen my gosh, Lord have is- mercy. Help us, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) It was crazy times back then. But there is no doubt that there are many gray areas in the Christian life. Did you have a comment from the Facebook crowd? Yeah, we got a a few comments here. Some people said uh, cussing. Yeah, all right. Well, that's not actually a gray area. No. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, it says no. <laughs> let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That's in Ephesians. So Shoot. if it's unwholesome, yeah. <laughs> Shoot. Dang it. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, moving on. Clo- um, clothing and modesty, kissing while dating, psychiatry, the foods we eat, celebrating birthdays or serving in the military. I'm not, I'm not sure about that one. Maybe like the whole murder thing. Yeah. yeah. What, what did that movie ju- that just came out? Hacksaw Ridge. Mm. Well, he, got, he wouldn't he, hurt anybody. He wouldn't shoot. He wouldn't kill. And he wouldn't hold a gun. And it was a fantastic story directed by Mel Gibson. It was a fantastic story uh, of a man who had a real sincere Christian conscience problem with shooting to kill, even oh. in military conflict. There's no shortage. Thank you for those, because I wasn't even thinking of those. Yeah, neither was name I. a couple of the early ones that you said again. Psychology. That's an interesting That's one. A psychiatry. Oh, psychiatry. Psychiatry. Like maybe I shouldn't see a psychiatrist or get only counsel from the scriptures. Yeah, I mean, I I think I don't know if they meant this, but maybe uh, psychics or or just kind of oh that. psychics. I, I'm, I'm assuming. I'm assuming. I'm assuming. But they did say psychiatry, so I don't want to. 
Yeah, I don't think you should see astrologists. That's not kind of a gray area. I think the scripture talks about mediums and spiritists and te- and totally, you know, says no. That's not proper for God's people. Medication for depression. I was just going to say that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's a I would say that's a definite gray area. Yeah. Because the brain is physical as much as it is a intellectual part of us and I, I had mentioned this in our series First Things First that there's two three parts to your brain. Even science says this today. The, the, the part that talks that's the part that deals with your uh, sedentary states, your senses, and then your intellectual will. And yep. that intellectual will part, you know, that has to be taught scripturally how to live for God. But, you know, there's those other two parts of your body, your brain, that may need medication. Mm. Yeah. But then there's other Christians who say, no, that's completely wrong. So what do you do? Like you guys are in small groups maybe or you have Christian friends. And I'll tell you something. This is what you can't do. You can't cut yourself off from every Christian who disagrees with you about these little small issues. Yeah. Because you'll find yourself alone very quickly. We all disagree about many things. We've got to learn how to work with and live with and minister with and still relate to people who don't think like us. You know? Yeah. Because, I mean, I want Christian friends. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be alone. <laughs> you know, I want people to like me in the church. I want to like people in the church. I need my Christian fellowship. And so Paul is going to take this area on in Corinth, this one specific area, meat sacrifice to idols, and give them some principles. Okay, so let's talk about the principles. I got three, and then we're done. Three points, and it's done. <laughs> yeah, I got three I points, heard, and I'm done. I heard you rip that off from me there. The I other did. Week. I yeah. did. Three points, and then we're done, people. So point number one, in the gray areas of our faith, first, Paul's going to tell us, don't let what you know biblically trump who you must love scripturally. This is what he says in first, verse one. Knowledge, quote-unquote knowledge, puffs up, but love builds up. Mm. I love that passage, by the way. Yeah. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. If every Christian could just like tattoo that to their forehead backwards so that they see that in the mirror every morning. (laughs) I mean, you know, and there we go. There's another gray area. Tattoos. Tattoos. Yeah. Piercings. Yeah. Yeah. um, Shane, what do you feel about tattoos? Oh, I feel they're fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking about getting one on my leg. (laughs) Do you want to show us any of your tattoos? I'm shocked by that answer. Oh, I got my shark. He's got a a dolphin on his forearm. (laughs) It's a shark, not a dolphin. (laughs) What else from the the gang days? The gang days, the dolphin gang. Yeah, dolphin gang. What's the symbol? (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know why I work here. (laughs) (laughs) This is our conversation behind closed doors. Yeah. I'm sorry. We're we're letting it all hang out today. I hope you enjoy it. But, you know. Knowledge puffs. Let's get back to it. Knowledge puffs up. Uh, I would like to say this: you can be right and wrong at the same time. Mm. You can be. You can be right about what you know scripturally and wrong in how you present it. Or let me put it in more layman's terms: you can be right and a butthead. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And we I, have you ever met a Christian butthead? I hope I'm not a Christian <laughs> butthead to many of you. I know I've been a Christian butthead in my past. I, I know I can still be at times. But you can be right. Like what you say is right. And maybe what you say even has great credence to it, even if it's not necessarily 100% backed up by Scripture. But you can know stuff about what God thinks is right and wrong and still be wrong in how you present it. Yes. Yeah. And I... I, Exactly nuts. It drives me crazy. And And nobody wants to receive what you have to say when you're a jerk. It's the fastest way to not be heard. Who wants to hear from you? Nobody. Yeah, you're a butthole. Not me. So these people that come up to me after service, <laughs> let me just say this, after I'm done preaching, <laughs> after I'm done preaching and people come up to me and they say, you know, I got a problem with, and you might be, you might have a point, but you know what? In that moment, you might want to just like temper how you come across to me mm-hmm. because it's like, Hey, I just got done. I'm, I'm still like, I'm a little bit exhausted. I'm tired. I'm not probably going to receive it rightly, especially if you come out with your anger issues, because I said I insulted your, <laughs> your homeschooling stance or I insulted your dancing stance or I insulted whatever. Um, and I've I'm been a, there. I've witnessed this. Yeah, you've witnessed it. <laughs> yes, it's and, not pretty. Uh, it, <laughs> and, you know, you got to be careful, Christians. We all got to be careful, myself included, that we can know stuff. But what we know doesn't always build up the church if what we know isn't rooted in genuine love for that person that we're telling that what we know. Yeah. So also notice in this passage that the word knowledge, quote unquote, is in quotes. So what is Paul? Why does he put it in quotes? Well, because there's a specific knowledge that he's talking about. And we can talk about what that knowledge is in the next 
three verses because he says in verses, I'm sorry, in, in verses four to six, he says, therefore, as to eating the food sacrificed to idols, we know, so here's the knowledge, we know that an idol has no real existence, so we know, and that's very important to us, who's the we? We'll talk about that. We know that an idol has no real existence, and then he says, and we know that there is only one God, and then he says, although there may be many so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and lords, quote, unquote, quote, unquote, <clears throat> Yet for us, again, who is this us? There is one God, the Father, from whom all things are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Here's who Paul is talking about. When he says we know these things, he's talking about Jewish Christians because the Jews had the Torah, the first five books of Moses. The Jews had the law, and the law and the first five books of Moses make absolutely clear there is no other God. This is the gift the Israelites gave to the ancient world. In the ancient world, everything was a god. A tree could be a god. Um, the sun was a god. The moon is a god. Everything. The rain is a god. There was a god for every part of natural creation. Well, this is just the ignorance of humankind. God comes to Abraham. He starts his family. He speaks to this guy, Moses, one of Abraham's descendants. He tells Moses, I need you to write this stuff down because this is what we believe. Uh, there is no other God but me, and I created all these things that all these other nations worship as gods. This was perhaps the greatest gift that the Jewish nation gave to humanity before Jesus, this idea that there is one God in heaven who created all things. And because of that truth, now we don't worship trees and we don't worship suns and, or planets or stars and we don't look to those things for our answer. Because why? Because we know the one who made those things. And so Paul is talking about Jewish Christians. And so here's what you have in Corinth. You have the Jewish Christians who know the law. They know what the Torah teaches about God. And so when they see meat sacrificed to an idol, they know that that meat was offered to nothing, right. to nobody. And so they have no problem eating this meat because they know those idols don't exist. So eat the meat. It's cheaper. Amen. <laughs> it's more flavorful. People won't buy it. I get it on sale. Fantastic. I eat for, I eat for much less money than you. you know? uh, what, a, what a bargain for me who knows the scripture. And so when Paul says we know these things, he's talking to the Jewish Christians. But then he says in verse 7, not all have this knowledge. So who is he talking about there? He's talking about the other uh, side of the, of the sanctuary, if you will. In Corinth, he's talking to those former pagan Christians. The Gentiles. The Gentiles. Yeah. The people who did worship the sun and did worship Aphrodite and did worship Zeus, mm. what have you, and went to the temple and did offer their meat to that God. So when my when my youth pastor who was saved out of sex, drugs, and rock and roll comes to me and says, I have a serious problem with you listening to rock and roll, you can start to see, oh, he's one of those people because he used to really emotionally or spiritually, you know, kind of enter into a worshipful posture toward that stuff. And now that Jesus has saved him from that stuff, for him to see a young teenager getting into that stuff, he immediately says, whoa. Yeah. That's wrong. Freaks out, yeah. He freaks out. And me being raised as a Christian and, and by parents who I thank God for this were not legalistic at all. Uh, let me make my own decisions about many of these issues. Uh, I just didn't, I never had a problem with it. I just thought it's good music. It sounds cool. Yeah. yeah. And I love Jesus. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to worship these people, but I, I like the tune. That's know? awesome. So, yeah, I mean, so you think that, uh, it was your upbringing that made kind of your your stance on alcohol and smoking Absolutely. and all that kind of thing. Well, my alcohol stance, I you know, I don't have a problem with people drinking alcohol. I don't typically drink alcohol at all anymore, um, but I have, and I don't have a problem with people drinking alcohol uh, as long as they don't use it to get drunk. But I was raised by um, my mother, one hundred percent Italian, and we had uh, we came out of an Italian Pentecostal tradition, and the Italian Pentecostal tradition we came out of, they they drank wine. So, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, as much as it's Italian, oh, man. yeah, <laughs> come on, they had to, you know, yeah. <laughs> as much as Pentecostals have this tradition of legalism, that was the one area they're like, no, we, yeah. we got to be drinking. So my mother and father would host missionaries at our house. The missionaries would bring these gallons of wine. <laughs> 
into our house. And I'm being like 12, 13 years old, they'd give me a glass of wine. <laughs> and it'd be like an insult if I didn't drink the wine. You know, it was like, it was a totally different paradigm than what somebody who was raised by an alcoholic father came out of alcoholism. Jesus radically saved them. I mean, that person does not need people bringing them a bottle of wine right, right. in their freedom to drink wine. So Paul's talking. Now, this is very key. He's talking to the people who have the knowledge. He's talking to the people who are okay with eating the meat. And he's telling them, you guys have a responsibility here to not do these things in front of the people who have a problem with it. Right. And that kind of changes the game for a lot of us. Because a lot of us think that those Christians need to just get over those little issues, grow up, and realize that it's really not an issue to take your kids trick-or-treating or to listen to rock and roll or to drink alcohol or to smoke or to do these things. And we think, oh, just get over that stuff. Get over that stuff. And Paul says, no, that's not the posture of a Christian. The posture of a mature and strong Christian is to bear with the failings, the conscience failings of the weak who say, I can't do this. I have a problem with it. Mm. And so in respect to them, don't do it. Now, on the other side of this equation, the conscience-stricken people, the people who, for everything that you come across with that even smells sinful, you say is sinful, even though the Bible may not say it's sinful. I want to tell you something. You can take it too far. Oh, yeah. And, and you have to be careful to take this too far. If you have a conviction about drinking alcohol and you know that your brother doesn't and he's not getting drunk, it is not your sanctified Christian duty to go and convert said brother to your philosophy. Let right. him have a course. Yeah, like, yeah. Let him. Yeah. And, and be careful, too, especially when we get to holidays, because there's some Christians out there. They don't celebrate Christmas. They don't celebrate Easter. They don't ce- In fact, the Puritans who moved to this country from England did not celebrate Christmas because of the, you know, the pagan roots of the holiday. It actually, the pagan roots of Chris- bringing a Christmas tree into your house, that comes from northern <clears throat> Germany. So it's a pagan ritual that we're actually practicing, and now we've just Christianized it. <laughs> but be careful when you start doing that, because if you need to a- avoid everything that has any kind of attachment to pagan roots, then you better ignore the calendar completely. <laughs> <laughs> you better ignore the calendar, because the days of the week, you may not know this, the days of the week are named for pagan gods. Yep, really? Sunday, Moon Day... Mm. Thor's Day, the god of thunder, which is a great movie, by the way. Oh, yeah. Thor. <laughs> the months of the calendar are named for pagan emperors and pagan gods. Janus, the month of January, was the pagan god that looked forward and back. So that's why the first month of the year is January. Yeah, that. this is where it all comes. It all comes from paganism. There's a lot of paganism around us. So if you're going to take these things, if you're going to have a Christian conscience about things, be careful that you don't go so far because you will be able to sniff some reason to say is bad from almost anything. And I think it's important to differentiate between the Holy Spirit's conviction and just like a personal conviction. Absolutely, Josh. Good point. Good point. That's a tremendous point because, you know, there's so many people out there that want to speak for the Holy Spirit. (laughs) and that's a great point for a lot of christians you don't need to be the holy spirit to anybody else what you need to do is listen to the holy spirit for you amen uh anyway comments questions nothing so we got uh love comments and questions people keep them coming let's go on in the passage as they look at that it says this but take care and he's again he's talking to the strong christians he says take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak in other words you have no problem with meat sacrificed to idols so be careful that you don't now take this right that you have because you have no you're not conscience stricken about it and now you make it a stumbling block to somebody who is conscience stricken about it he says for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat eat food offered to idols so this is like if you're part of a small group and you have a, a person in your small group and they have a history of alcoholism you don't take your whole small group out to a bar you just don't do that you don't offer any kind of drinking at your small group right you just don't do it and you say, well, why? It's no problem. Because that person struggles with it. I mean, I think it's yeah. bad practice to have alcohol at your small group, even I don't if think, nobody yeah. struggles with it. Absolutely. I, mean, yeah, wrong, I wouldn't say ever do that. But, you know, just in hanging out together. Yeah. If you have them over for the Super Bowl, if you have them over for a party, you just don't do it. Mm. I mean, man, man, consider your Christian brother before your Christian rights and freedoms. Do we yeah. have a comment? 
yeah, I was going to, somebody said I was going to get a tattoo next week. I told a Christian friend, they sent me an article about it being wrong for Christians. Pretty much only okay if they got the tattoo before they were saved. Thoughts? Yeah, here's my thoughts. Because uh, the first thought you have to consider is this. Um, scripture says that all things must be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So here's a great, <clears throat> here's a great principle of Christian, of uh, biblical interpretation. If the Bible only mentions something once, it's, it's up for grabs. There's only one passage that talks about tattoos. Secondly, um, the tattoos of the ancient world were uh, worship tattoos. They were markings on their body in worship to and identification with these false gods. So here again, we Christians know that if somebody wants to worship, I don't know, name a god, um, name one, I can't. If somebody uh, Neptune. wants Neptune, sure, whatever. So, so you know a, a person who's not a Christian, they're worshiping Neptune. And so then they, they put a, a marking on their body that's to the god Neptune. Uh, you know that that marking has zero spirituality to it. Do you know why? Because the god Neptune does not exist. Right. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, there are demons, sure, and people can worship demons, yes, but there's no god, true god with power and authority over a Christian's life. Yeah. Because you are under the authority and you are protected by the power of the Father and the Holy Spirit and the name and the blood of Jesus. So those things, those those demon, those demon spirits do not have any influence in your life unless you will listen to them and allow them to. They do not have any control over your life. Your Father has you in the palm of his hand and no man shall pluck you out. You are not possessed by demons. You are possessed by God. Mm. So for a Christian to get a tattoo... This is the beauty of a, t a Christian. They can get a tattoo of the name Jesus or of something that is spiritual or connected to him. Again, that tattoo does not make them more spiritual or less spiritual. Amen. Thank God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. I would also consider your context, though. If you're part of a motorcycle gang, like let's just say you're part of this motorcycle gang. They all, all You get together and you got these tattoos, and these tattoos are significant to some spirituality part of the gang, I don't know if this exists. I'm just making this up. I'm just going with it. But I wouldn't get the tattoo in that case. Right. Because right. in that case, you are saying, no, I'm going to now identify with that spirituality behind that tattoo. So I don't think that that's right. I yeah, think I, that you've got you've to say, no, I'm not part of that spirit. I'm a, I'm a biker, and I'll take my bike out, and I'll ride with you guys, and I want to be a Christian witness. You don't tell them that, but you just be a Christian witness to them, and you want to be friends with these people for the sake of you know friendship and for Christian witness but you don't participate in those things uh, because you are a Christian. Yeah. So I don't think it's wrong. I think that there's contextual, contextual issues that you have to consider. I, I wouldn't uh, ever tell somebody, you know, those tattoos are sinful. I only tell that to Shane, but he doesn't listen to me anyway. So. <laughs> anyway, when, uh, great when, question. <laughs> when, some, when someone else's freedom is causing someone else to struggle or sin, how would you suggest actually addressing that? Yeah, so here's what he's saying. He's saying, right here, we can put it back up, uh, Bria, on the screen. He's saying, <clears throat> be careful that your right does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So if you know that that person struggles with that area, don't do it. Don't be a butthead. Mm. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. So my question to all of you right now listening is this, is what you're doing an act of love for your brother or an act of self-assuredness you know right. i'm free and i know what i am and i have this biblical knowledge and i have got all this down so i'm good mm. and i'm gonna do it because i want to prove to you how good i am you are being a butthead <laughs> repent of your buttheadedness and start loving your brother because your brother look what he says in verse 11 is someone for whom christ died <clears throat> and if christ was willing to lay down his very life for that person, you better be willing to lay down your individual rights for that person. Amen. I think it's like a pride versus humility thing. Absolutely. It's definitely pride and humility. And this is just considering your brother more important than yourself. And by the way, Paul gets even stronger with his language because look at verse 12. He gets stronger. He says, if you do that stuff around your brother who struggles with it, he says this, you're sinning against your brothers. You're, you're sinning now. You might not think that doing the thing is sinning, but because you're doing it in front of somebody who thinks it's sin, now you are sinning yeah. and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. 
So then Paul resolves his own life. He says, look, I will not eat food if it makes my brother stumble. I will not eat meat, meat yeah. if it makes my brother stumble. Another comment? Question? <clears throat> the, the roles of men and women in the church can unfortunately become a nasty battle among Christians. It's, uh, I, I think that we actually addressed that in a previous podcast. Yeah. I mean, uh, it can be. It's not here, thank God. And somebody also asked about uh, one of the controversial gray areas was about um, women pastors or women speakers. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I think that a woman, uh, her responsibility is not necessarily to teach and preach to the whole congregation. I don't think you can read the writings of the Apostle Paul in many passages and suggest that that should be the case on a normative basis. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that God has given uh, the, the male figure and leader of the church the responsibility to govern the church as elders and the responsibility to feed the flock the word of God. Uh, this is not one passage. There's not one. There's several passages in First and Second Timothy and Titus where we have got to s stop letting the cultural sway of all the genders are equal and everybody can do anything and I'm a millennial and my dreams can come true <laughs> mantras of our culture to infect the church. No, friends. What does Scripture teach? What does Scripture teach regarding the doctrinal preaching of the Word of God to the body of Christ? And I don't see it. You've got to show me pass. I'll listen to passages. Don't show me your ideas. I'll listen to passages that teach us that women should be leading the church as elders and pastors and preaching the doctrinal truth of the scriptures to the people. I just don't see it. If you see it, show me. But I've read the Bible many times. I just don't see it. I'm yeah. sorry. Even when Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 or 2 Timothy 2 2, he says, he says, I want you to find um, faithful men who will be able to teach others. And the word men there is the, the, um, the, gender, the male uh, gender uh, pronoun so, or noun. So he's not opening that door. And we've got to be careful. We have got to be seriously careful as a church in the 21st century not to allow the politics and the talk out there to start shaping what happens in here. We are countercultural. We are the Christian witness to our generation, and they are not going to like everything about what we believe, and we have to be okay with that. How about Deborah? Well, Deborah was a prophetess who even said, because a male did not step up, I had to step up. Mm. So that's why I say general practices. Okay, so when there's a male who is able to step up, have him step up and do it. The only reason, and even her own confession is, I, you know, I'll do it, but now a woman's going to get a credit because you, you men, refuse to do it. Oh, well. and God will use whatever it takes, even a donkey. God will use, yeah, God will use a donkey. <laughs> but now that doesn't become normative. We don't pull a donkey up onto the stage and say, okay, start preaching. I mean, it's, it's not, not to a say that women experience. are donkeys, not at no, all. No, no, no. no. <laughs> no oh, my gosh, gosh I'm sorry. <laughs> Good Lord, I'm sorry. Oh, no, what I am saying though is that you've got to look at there are some uh, there are some Christian there are some scriptural moments where exceptions happen. Mm -hmm. They do not then become the normative rule. Scripture must interpret scripture. And when you see scripture uh, talking about the role of the preacher and the pastor and the elder who governs through the teaching of the word, it is always a male. It is always a male. Uh, now that does not mean that that makes men more important. No. It does not mean that it makes men more valuable. Absolutely not. Male and female created he, them, in the image of God. They are both priceless and valuable because of who made them, not because of what they do or perform in the church. See, a lot of this problem that we have in 21st century Christianity, why we want to be more like the world in this regard, is because we see our performance of what we do as our main identity. Mm. For instance, you go to a dinner party, you talk to somebody for the first time, what's the second question out of your mouth? What's your name is the first question. What's the second question? What do you, what do, you do, do for work? What do you do for work? So I want to identify you with what you do. We have made what we do our identity. And Scripture is constantly telling us, stop making what you do. Even as a Christian or a minister, your primary identity. There is vocation and there is calling, 
but then there is identity. Mm. And identity is always rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ, Amen. who makes a way for you and I to be adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters, equally loved, equal inheritance for both in the precious work of Jesus. Mm. Anything else? Have I nailed that to the wall? <laughs> yes, you did. I don't know if I have, but let's just assume I did. A lot of interaction today. This is I great. love these Think questions. Time. And this is what I want to get to with our Facebook moment, people. I really want to get to this. I want you to ask questions. I, I'm not scared of any question. So bring it out. Uh, even the Deborah question. Someone, I bet you thought you were going to throw me off with that, but you didn't. Amen. <laughs> so I struggled when I first became a Christian with Philippians 4.8. Still struggle with it, actually, having a glass of wine or watching a show that has witches and wizards. Yeah, again, well, Philippians 4.8, um, I think that's whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. By the way, I, I, I love Harry Potter. Just the, uh, well, I, full, <laughs> full disclosure. <laughs> full disclosure. Yeah, but what if somebody's listening who doesn't love Harry Potter? You should be careful now. Ooh, Shame I'm so you. sorry. <laughs> well, I remember when Josh was, when, when he came out, my son was a, a kid. We didn't watch it. We, we told oh, yeah, you didn't let your son watch I it? I still have I don't think he's seen it yet. He's 21 years old. Yeah, wow. <laughs> because my, it was just like that was taboo. Yeah. yeah, Cheryl and I watched it. We watched the first one. We couldn't get through it. It was so boring to us. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry, Harry Potter fans. We are. This is so it's such a boring story to us. We couldn't. Stand it was a childhood it. thing. You grew I up took with him on the ride at Disney World, but I didn't. Oh, the ride! The, movie. the ride That's is awesome. fantastic. That's awesome. Down in Universal, riding a broomstick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. So to so this person, though, I want to get to that question. Yeah. You know, look, again, if your conscience can't handle those things, then stay away from them. It, why, why put yourself in an area where it makes you feel and it really troubles your Christian conscience? Stay away from it. Yeah. I know that there's a guy on our staff, Josh Daigle. He loves horror movies. Oh, I don't know how he loves those he's things. He's a fanatic. They, yeah. crazy, not only crazy, do crazy. I, not only can I not watch them because I'm a scaredy cat. I literally <laughs> cannot. I mean, I barely get through Stranger Things without like locking all the doors and making sure that Cheryl stays with me the whole time until we go to bed. Together. I'm blocking your ears. <laughs> I, can't, and stuff. I can't deal with it. But these people who can watch these horror movies or the slasher movies, I don't think you should watch them. To be honest with you, but I can't watch them because for me it harms my spirit. It really makes me feel terrible. I don't think they're right for me. I have a serious problem with it for myself. At the same time, I don't know. Look, you say, well, it's terrible. It's blood. It's guts. It's gore. Okay. Have you read the book of Judges? <laughs> have, you, have you read the scriptures? Because my Bible tells me that Joshua went into those cities and killed everybody. Put everybody to death by the sword. It, in, in Genesis, it talks about how they had the guys circumcise themselves. And then when they were weak because of the circumcision, two of Jacob's sons go in and kill the whole village of men. I mean, there's... Uh, look at... Uh, anytime you think the slasher movie is uncalled for, go and read Judges chapter 19. And you will be mortified by how the Bible presents in clear pictures, black and white, the most disgusting forms of, fla of slasher film uh, content possible. Judges 19 for later for your own spiritual development. <laughs> um, so again, though, if you have this conscience issue in your own heart and mind, you want to guard that. And if for you it's wrong, then don't do it. Yeah. I would like to get to the second point here because we've got to get to these three points. But the second point is this. Don't be so concerned with your freedom that you forget who you live for. Amen. Don't be, don't be so concerned. Oh, I'm free to do this. I'm free to do that. Okay, yeah, I understand that. But you also are a Christian and you are also called to live like Christ who, again, laid down his life uh, for people who may not think like you. Amen. No, no. Paul says, I'll never eat meat if it makes my brother stumble. And then so third and lastly is this. Value your Christian community over your individuality. So again... Personal freedom must come second to the sense of identity and community. Yeah. I value my church family and my fellowship with my church family more than I do my right to drink Amen. or my right to this. And for all the smokers out there or all the non-smoker people, I don't think you should smoke for your health. But for those of you who want to say, that you have this Christian, you know, this Christian perspective on you shouldn't smoke and this uh, sin before God. I just want to ask you people, do you eat a Big Mac every now and then? <laughs> How's your diet? You know, seriously, because <laughs> those things will kill you. Yeah. Just as quickly as a cigarette will. Oh, yeah. And so 
be careful when you make those laws about those things when you're engaged in other things that are also equally unhealthy. Now, you, you said cigarette when you were talking about smoking. Uh, what's your stance on marijuana? I was just going to ask you the same question. It's legal now in Massachusetts. Yes, yeah, legal. I have this conversation all the time with people. Yeah. yeah. They always ask. Recreational yeah. versus medical. I mean, then where's the line of, of yeah. drugs? I mean, yeah. I yeah. don't know. Well, okay. To my, my honest opinion is it is a... Um, what, what the scriptures would describe as a pharmakia, P-H, pharmakia, which is translated sorcery in the book of Revelation. Hmm. So we get the word pharmacy from pharmakia in Greek, which means sorcery, uh, sorcery which oh, wow. is actually translated into English. In the ancient world, this, drugs are nothing new. They had drugs back then. So in pagan revelry, and to open themselves up to the spirits, they would do drugs. They would smoke stuff or inhale stuff, or I don't know, eat stuff, and it would give them this, this spiritual you know, mindset whereby they would consult with the demons of hell or demons of the world. Wow. Mm. So I, on that basis, anything that messes with your mind, I think a Christian absolutely should stay away from. Yeah. Mm. So therefore, that's why drinking alcohol not sinful but drunkenness is because when you start to drink to drunkenness your mind is messed up right mm-hmm. i mean even the second that you you start to feel that little buzz i mean that's yeah you know and i've been there and you, you start to drink that drink and it's like man the buzz is there and if i drink if i take another sip my mind now is going to be affected i don't want it that's that's sitting i think that's sitting against my body mm-hmm. um and so no i wouldn't do marijuana <laughs> i'm sorry i just <laughs> sorry, sorry to disappoint you josh <laughs> I don't. Shucks. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't one of these questions that came up, but what about, glad it helped you. Uh, what about being bound by the addictive nature of nicotine? Yeah, that's a bad thing. Yeah. Anything controlling you is a bad but thing. But is that a spiritual thing? Being, a, being yeah. bound by the addictive nature of nicotine is Absolutely. a bad thing. Absolutely. Being bound by anything. Look, there, uh, Christ has, Christ's work is to set people free. The second book of the Bible is named Exodus. Do you know what that means? Coming out of being set free, being liberated. It is God's dream and desire for you and for me to be set free from anything that becomes a controlling influence in our lives. So if smoking now becomes a controlling influence in your life, you got to get out of it. Just like if McDonald's burgers are a controlling influence (laughs) in your life, you've got to get out of it. And seriously, for some people, I, I see a lot of preachers in the pulpits of America and they're 300 pounds. Like, and it's like, you got to get control of that. You're letting the devil kill you with your own mouth. I got a good one for you. And you got to stop eating like that. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts can be controlled. Caffeine? Ask, How about caffeine? Ask my friend Shane Parsons uh, move along. about Nothing to Dunkin' see here. Donuts yeah. controlling influence. But isn't anyone who smokes is, is, cigarettes are addicting. They are. There's nobody so that wants to spend 10 bucks a day on a pack of cigarettes. So does that mean that there is biblical evidence for not They're smoking? All. Because, I mean, now we've kind of... Yeah, I mean, on that, on that basis, when it becomes a controlling influence, again, I don't think... Uh, there's a difference between <laughs> sin, which I believe is the fruit of controlling influences, and then the controlling influence. Mm. So, you know, again, if you are controlled by nicotine and you need to have it, um, I think it's becoming a sinful issue in your life, yes. Yeah. You want to be broken free from that. But taking a puff of a cigarette does not... You know, it's not a sin. I'm sorry. But again, you start taking it, you open yourself up to being controlled by that. It becomes a controlling influence. But again, why do we keep going back to cigarettes? Because again, I, I, I almost anything can become a controlling influence. The woman who has to buy a new pair of shoes every single week and doesn't even wear them mm. is controlled. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> We're not looking at you. Uh, why? Why do you suddenly feel convicted? I don't know. Shane, nobody. <laughs> okay. And the woman who buys a pair of shoes right? <laughs> zones in on Shane. That's a controlling uh. influence. Almost anything. The the person who has to be married by age thirty is under mm. a controlling influence. Amen. So you might be sinning in um, <clears throat> dating too many guys too fast, getting too serious too fast. I mean, like, eh. these are controlling influences. The Lord wants you free, friend. He wants you free to serve him, and he wants you free to serve him because he knows that when you serve him, you're only going to reap goodness into your life. You know, uh, I think Jim Caviezel had a great speech. You know, he played Jesus, the Passion of the Christ, had a great speech at a Catholic conference. He said, freedom, I think he quoted somebody, he said, freedom is not the ability to do what you want. It's the power to do what you ought. Mm. 
I love that quote. <laughs> Freedom is not the ability to do what you want. It's the power to do what you ought. And we all know that you can be, you can think you're free and you start doing all these things. And before you know it, you're controlled by them. Yeah. And how'd you get into them? Because you thought you were free. No, Christ's freedom is the power to do what you ought to do because God knows what you should do. And when you do it, it's going to bring back goodness into your life. Mm. And that can go for any area of your life. We are at the hour mark. We should be closing up. Is there any other comment? No, everybody loves it, man. Best best podcast yet. Hashtag keeping it real. All right. Well, thank you so much for those comments. I just want to just close with these last words. If you're going to go to heaven, the Bible teaches, you have to receive him. If you're going to have your sins forgiven, you have to receive him. And I'm going to ask you to do it today, and I'm going to ask you to do it publicly. How do you do it? I'm going to ask hundreds of you to get up out of your seat right now and come and stand in front of this platform quietly and reverently and say, I want Christ in my heart. I want him to forgive my sin. I want to know I'm going to heaven. I want him to change my life. I receive him as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Wow. Thank you, Billy Graham. We love you. And we say to you, rejoice. Well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah. This was The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's Deep End Podcast. We pray that you continue to grow in your faith and that you would serve and support your local church. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us this weekend at Waters Church. We're located at 57 John Deach Square in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. And you can join us every Saturday at 4 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. Make sure to stay tuned in for next week's episode of The Deep End Podcast.